Welcome to this week's sermon from Heights Worship Center. We believe God has something for you today. We hope this message encourages and inspires you. I've been um, reading a series of articles put out by Rick Joyner, and um, he's talking about the kingdom of God and the people of God. And he's, he said something a few times that has really just... Our kids are excited. That the, he has said uh, something a few times in some of the different articles that I've read that have really stood out to me. He says, there are many things God will bless, but he will not inhabit. And as a church, we don't want just the blessings of God, but the inhabitation of God. And I'm just sharing that with you because that is my heart's desire for this, this house, Heights Worship Center. Not just the blessings of God, but the presence of God. We don't want God's blessings without his presence. Right? Moses stood in front of God. He said, God, unless you go with us, we won't go. We want to go where the presence of God is. And if we don't make his presence our priority, then we're really missing out on the fullness of what Jesus has done for us. You can have fancy lights and fancy buildings and you can have all of the newest greatest stuff but without the presence of God what's the point when I moved from Arizona to California I did so in obedience the Lord called me to leave I had a pretty good thing back home and he called me to come here and I was from a small town going to LA LA and I tried big churches and the Lord was just like, nope, nope. And I went to this one church, very big church, known for their music, their worship. And I'll tell you, it was technically perfect. But I left wondering where the presence of God was. Fast forward a year later, I'm in the Philippines, in a province, in the middle of nowhere. No electricity, no running water. They have a guitar that looks like it had lasted through maybe... Five typhoons, literally. <laughs> and their drums were paint cans, plastic paint cans. And we go, because, you know, we're going wherever Pastor Jaron is. I don't know if June remembers this, but June and Adelisa and I were with Pastor. And we go, and they start leading worship, and then poof, God's presence invades. We were outside, there's no lights, there's no electricity, there's no fanfare. There's a guitar that most of us would throw in the trash. Paint cans that we wouldn't know what to do with. But when they came, they came to seek God. And he came in power and in might. And I was blown away. And I remember standing there, first time out of America, first time in the Philippines. And, and I just remember looking around the jungle, because that's where we were. And thinking, wow, God's presence with that guitar and those plastic bins. And in that moment, moment, Holy Spirit reminded me a year prior how I had been at a big fancy church with all the everything, with all the alls. And how musically my ears were like perfection, but my spirit was like, where is Jesus? And in that moment, the Lord marked me as a worshiper that it's not about perfection, it's about his presence. It's about his presence, church. If we don't have the presence of Jesus, what do we have? Without Jesus, who are we? 
I'm praying that we have an awakening to the revelation of who the Son of God is, the Lion of the tribe of Judah who's victorious and the Lamb who was slain, worthy is the Lamb who was slain, who was and is and is to come. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy are you, Jesus. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Oh, Holy Spirit, that we would have a revelation of your presence in greater ways. Open up our eyes to see you. Open our ears to hear your voice. God, I pray that you would remove distractions from us. Because nothing we desire compares to you. If it doesn't have eternal worth, then Jesus, take it from us. We want your presence. Heights Worship Center, my family, we want the presence of God. And that means we have to be willing to let him change whatever he wants to change. We have to be willing for him to say, this was good for a season, but now let's let that go. We have to be willing to say, what is the new? If, if we're crying out for the new wine, Jesus said it must have new wine skins. You know what the new wine refers to? The last outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus turned water into wine. And you know what he did at the wedding? The water he turned into wine tasted better than the wine they first served. And the master of the ceremony took notice. And he came to the, to the head of the house and he said, you did something different. Most people serve the best wine up front and they leave the cheap stuff when everybody's drunk. But not you. You save the best for last. The story is not about Jesus turning water into wine. The story is about how God is going to pour out the greatest move of his spirit in the last days. The last wine. And I believe we are in the last days. And Jesus is preparing his church, his body, the bride, to be ready for the outpouring of his spirit. And new wine requires new wineskin. Because if new wine is put in old wineskin, the Bible says it cracks, it bursts, it is damaged. Do you know that our God is so good that if we can't handle what he wants to pour out, he will not pour it out. I want everything that he has. God will withhold blessings and presence and power if it will crush his people. So if we want all that God has in store for our kids and our grandkids, if, if we want all that God has in store, then we have to be willing to let him make us new. We can't just do what we've always done as Christians. It's not enough. Because if you want to be able to handle what God is going to pour and release throughout the earth, then you and I need to be willing to adapt and change and be transformed by the power of God. We have to be willing to let certain things go and we have to be willing to embrace new things. We have to be willing to get rid of what doesn't matter so we have room for what does matter. In, in, in the Philippines, Philippines, in Philippians, the book, Philippians chapter 2, 
It says that Jesus emptied himself. He left heaven. He came to earth. He emptied himself. He became nothing and he took on flesh. He became man and he decided to come not as Lord but as servant. And he was obedient even unto death on the cross. Jesus emptied himself of all that he had in heaven and he limited himself to come in human form to be a baby, to take on flesh so that he could identify with you and me so that he could come into this world and yet overcome sin, defeat sin without sin. So when he died on the cross for sin, you and I could be free from sin. He emptied himself so that he had what he needed to do what God called him to do. Church, listen, you and I need to empty ourselves of anything that prevents what God wants to do in our lives. We have to be willing to do that. It was really interesting what Jaleesa said in the beginning of worship. And if you were a little late, you missed it. But it stood out to me because it happened to me this past week. She talked about how if there's anything that puts a block between you and God to deal with it. I was, Saturday night, I was realizing that there was a block in my heart. I said, Lord, I can tell there's a block in my heart between you and me. And I knew what it was because I chose to watch a certain show that I was interested in. Probably shouldn't have watched, but I chose to watch, ignoring the Holy Spirit. And it was a block. And I said, Lord, forgive me. How dare I let entertainment be more important than your presence? And I asked him to wash me clean, to remove that wall, because I don't want anything to hinder my ability to be in connection with his presence. But how often, how often, brothers, sisters, do we do that? How often do we allow things that have no eternal meaning, no worth, to take God's place in our life? We sang about the body and the bread. We're studying about communion this week. But it is more than just a ritual. It is a significant event that reminds us of what Jesus did on the cross for us. You know the primary reason why Jesus died on the cross? So you could have relationship with him and God. Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is real love, 1 John says. This is real love, not that we die, but he died for us. This is real love, not that we love him, but he loves us. This is real love that Jesus came willingly and laid down his life as our sacrifice. That is real love. Not the love we're chasing for, not the love Hollywood tells us about or we see on social media, but this is real love. And you have a lover in heaven who is jealous for you. He is called all-consuming fire. And he is coming for a church, a bride who is spotless and clean, without blemish. I don't know about you, but I want to be included in that number. Because the parable of the ten virgins tells me half of them don't make it. You think about this soberly. They were all virgins. They were all invited to the feast. That means they were all saved. But because half of them got lazy, distracted, 
They were shut out when the groom came. But the other half, the five wise ones, what did they do? They stayed vigilant. They stayed watchful. They kept the oil in their lamp burning. They made sure they had extra oil. They made sure that when Jesus came, they were ready. Do you know what the oil represents? The Holy Spirit. Do you know what you and I need? The Holy Spirit. I don't need another good sermon. I don't need another flashy lights. I don't need, I mean, I want some changes in here, but we don't need them. We need the presence of Jesus. We need the oil of the anointing of Holy Spirit. And do you know how oil is made? Through the pressing. You know, that's why the Bible says count it all joy when you go through trials and difficulties. Because if you will endure, then it says the Lord will make you mature, complete, lacking nothing. You know what that means? He makes all things for good. That in the pressing and the crushing, he, if you will let him, he will work in you his character, the Holy Spirit anointing. You're filling your lamps full of oil so that you're ready for the king. There is a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit that is yet to come. And what we're seeing in the nations of the world with regional wars and conflicts and this power rising against this power, it was prophesied. But it wasn't prophesied because God said, I'm going to make it happen. He said, no, I'm letting you know that the enemy in the last days is trying to ramp up evil, violence, hatred, prejudice. He's trying to ramp up the wrong ideology, making truth sound like lies. The enemy is out for his last attempt to try to take as many as he can. But God said, I will pour out my spirit in the last days. On my sons and my daughters, they will prophesy. They will dream. They will see visions. I want to be one of those. I want to be one of those. The wine was the best. And it was the last one poured out. His body, the bread, his blood, the wine. Jesus shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins once for all so that whoever believes in him is saved. The power of the blood still speaks today. I want to look at Hebrews chapter 12. I have verse 24 in the program there, Patty. But I want to read more than just verse 24. <laughs> yeah. Come on, stay alert, stay vigilant. Press in. Hebrews 12. Verse 23, you have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven, who have now been made perfect. Verse 24. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people. And to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. Jesus' blood speaks a better word. The blood of Jesus still speaks today. When we stand 
under the blood of Jesus. We sang it, his blood applied. When we stand under the blood of Jesus, instead of getting the wrath of God, which we deserve for our sin, instead we receive forgiveness because of his blood. Abel's blood cried out, and God went looking for Cain and said, Cain, what'd you do? Where's your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? God knew. Cain had murdered his brother Abel. He said his blood cries out. It is answering for justice. There are blood of millions and millions of unborn babies crying out for justice. There's blood of those who have been martyred for the name of Jesus that are crying out for justice. Just as the church is covered in the blood of Jesus, the devil uses blood in what he does as well. And that's like a whole month of worth of teaching that I'm not going to get into. But the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. The blood of Jesus speaks mercy. The blood of Jesus speaks forgiveness. The blood of Jesus speaks second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances. The blood of Jesus never gives up. The blood of Jesus speaks love. The blood of Jesus speaks peace. The blood of Jesus speaks hope. The blood of Jesus speaks joy. The blood of Jesus speaks healing. The blood of Jesus speaks freedom. The blood of Jesus speaks deliverance. We need to be in agreement with the blood of Jesus. Communion is not just something we do once a month. And Lord... As I studied communion in depth this week as I've never done before. Can I just be honest? I grew up in church. I've been taking communion as long as I can remember. I've never taken the time to study it like I did this week. I studied it for hours and hours and hours. And that the more I studied it, the more I began to realize that we have watered down the power and the significance of communion in the church here in America. It's just become something we do. Go through the motions. Maybe not all of us. Sometimes we, we try to tune in and pay attention. But it's, it's like, well, we got to do communion because that's what we do. We're, we're, you know, a church. We're a Christian. We're going to take communion. But communion, when Jesus established it, it was more than just a ritual. He was calling us to the table. In Luke 22, Jesus calls his disciples. He prepared Passover meal. See, the communion goes back to the first meal that the Israelites were told to commemorate. The Feast of Unleavened Bread. When they were to take the blood of a spotless lamb and sacrifice it, paint it over the doorpost, right, in Egypt. So that when the angel of death came over, if they saw the blood, the angel of death would pass over. That's how we get the name. And then when Pharaoh woke up and his firstborn was murdered, he cried out, send them away. Send the Israelites out. Get them out of here. And Moses said, get on up and go. And they just got up and go. And they didn't have time to make bread. They just took what they had. There was no time for the yeast. There was no time for preparation. They had to run. And so for seven days during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they were to eat bread made without yeast. Not the pretty bread we see in the pictures of communion. Not sourdough, even though it tastes good. I mean, you can use any bread, but the purpose of without yeast is twofold because they couldn't, they didn't have time to make bread with yeast. They had to run. They were set free. They were out of there. Don't stay in your place of imprisonment. When Jesus sets you free, run on out of there. Woo! 
Why do we stay in our place of sin and bondage and slavery when Jesus has died to set us free? Run on out. You don't got time for the bread to make some yeast and get all pretty. You just got to run on out. That's what the meal signifies. And then Jesus took it further when he explained that yeast represents sin. Jesus' body, he was sinless, therefore no yeast. Because the bread now, he says to his disciples, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. This is my body, which is broken. I love that because sometimes I think we miss that. This is my body. Sophia, come and help me. You're going to be my extra hands. This is my body, which is broken. He takes one whole loaf and he breaks it into pieces and he gives one to each disciple, including Peter, who would deny him, including Judas, who would betray him. Every single one who would that night run away in fear and abandon him. Break it off. He broke it. And this symbolizes the fact that as Christians, you and I are one in Christ. We are many pieces, many parts, but together we are one body, the body of Christ. Individualism must die. Self, selfishness must die. You're good now. Just hold that for me. Thank you. You're very thorough. I love it. We belong to each other, and we are one in the body of Christ. But you know what else this represents to me? How Jesus said, I'm perfect, I'm without sin, I'm the son of God, but I will come to earth, I will put on human flesh so that I can understand what it's like to live broken. He allowed his body to be broken so that he could understand your brokenness and mine. He said, it's not enough that I know you, I want to experience the brokenness of humanity. I want to walk along and see the broken and the wounded and the hurting, the divorced and the betrayed, the accused and the abandoned. I want to come and see the leprosy and the blind, those who are outcasted and those who think they're better than others. But I came for them all, so I am broken so that you know in your brokenness I will make you whole. This is the finished work of the cross. This, thank you. Ate Ann for making two. I didn't ask you to make two. That was awesome. Because this is what he did so you and I can become whole. Jesus was broken, whipped, beaten, scourged, beyond recognition, the Bible says. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, Isaiah 53, and he kept his mouth quiet and he endured the cross. His body was broken so that he could make you and me whole again. He's not afraid of your brokenness. He's not embarrassed by your brokenness. He understands because he knows what it's like to have his life in pieces. Jesus gets it. That's why Hebrews tells us that we have a high priest who understands and empathizes with all of our weaknesses. He was tempted in every way that you and I were tempted, yet without sin. That's what qualifies him to be the one who stands in our place to be crucified on the cross. 
His body was broken so that in his brokenness on the cross, he took on himself the punishment you and I deserve. Oh, what a God we serve. Thank you. Oh, what a God we serve. He allowed himself to be broken. Don't ever let your brokenness keep you from Jesus. He doesn't want you to get perfect and then come to him. He says, come to me as you are. Some people are like, well, I can't come to church because I got to get my act together first. No, you come to church because you don't have your act together. And it's through the blood and the body of Jesus that we again learn how to get our act together. The body, the bread. And then he takes the last cup because Luke 22 talks about different cups. And if you understand the Seder meal that the Jews celebrate, they had multiple cups that represented different things. Jesus reserved the last cup. This was called the cup of Hallel, of hallelujah, of praise. He takes the cup of praise and he says, this is my blood, which is poured out for you. I am establishing a new covenant. Not one based on works and obedience to the law, but one based on grace through faith. My blood poured out for you. You think about that. Did Jesus have reason to rejoice? Let's just kind of take a moment to identify with Jesus in this moment. It's his last supper with his closest friends. Twelve men that he has journeyed with, lived with, talked with. And he knows, he even says, and one of you here will betray me in Luke 22. You can read it on your own. He says, and one of you here will even betray me, but this is my blood which is poured out for you. Knowing full well the humanity of his disciples and loving them to the fullest. He invites them to the table. And he says... In the back of his mind, he's like, I know Peter's going to deny me three times. I know Judas is going to betray me. I know my disciples are going to flee. And I know the fear they're going to experience, the confusion they're going to go through. I understand. And even he in the garden was so overwhelmed with the suffering he was about to endure that his sweat became drops of blood. All this is going on in the heart and the mind of Jesus Christ. And yet he stands up and says, this is my body. He breaks it to show them that I'm about to be broken for you. And this is the cup that represents my blood. He is, you know, he says, this is my blood. What you celebrate, your freedom from Egypt, your bondage that was broken, your freedom from slavery, your deliverance out of Egypt, your creation of a new nation. I'm fulfilling it and I'm doing something new. See, they couldn't accept that he was doing something new. Because they were stuck in the old covenant. But he was coming in to bring in a new covenant. We cannot be so stuck in the old that we're not willing to embrace the new. This is my blood. Now, if you understand the significance of the blood, let me give you a little history lesson. The first time we see the shedding of blood is in the creation story when Adam and Eve sinned against God. They realize they're naked. They've sinned. They run. They find fig leaves. They make clothes to cover their nakedness. It wasn't about them being naked. It was all of a sudden they realized they were sinners and they had shame. God goes looking for them. What does he do? He kills an animal, the first bloodshed of the Bible. And he makes animal 
clothes, skin clothes for them. He covers their nakedness with the skins of an animal shedding blood. And then he gives the promise of how one day he's going to send the seed of a woman to crush the head of the serpent. Jesus, by the way. When he made a covenant with Abraham and said, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. He said to them, he, he put Abraham in a deep sleep. And you know what he did? There was blood sacrifice. The covenant between God and Abraham was sealed through the shedding of blood through animal sacrifice. And when God called Moses and the people in the wilderness and he gave them the Ten Commandments and he created the covenant that you will be my God. That he said, I will be your God and you will be my people. And I will live among you and I will be with you. Then you know what they did? They sacrificed animals. The covenant had to be sealed in blood. They took the blood of perfect lamb and perfect goats and they sprinkled it on everything. On the mercy seat, on everything. They sprinkled it everywhere. Now if you're like me, that's quite a visual. But the covenant was initiated and sealed through blood. So why did Jesus have to have his blood poured out? Because in order to fulfill the old covenant, to initiate a new covenant, one that's not just for the Israelites, but for all who would believe from every tongue, every tribe, every nation, the new blood had to be spilled. And not just any blood, but the blood of the Son of God, who is sinless, who came to take yours in my place. And he said, take this, my blood, and drink it, for this is the new covenant that I'm establishing. That all who eat my flesh and drink my blood, now I'm going to John 6, all who eat my flesh and drink my blood will have eternal life. And he told the whole thing because the crowds had followed Jesus. He had just fed them the day before. He had turned five loaves and two fish to feed 5,000 men plus women and children. And when they got up the next morning, the crowd went looking for Jesus. And they found out he had gone to the other side of the lake. So they go to find him. And they come up, they're like, hey, teacher, we want more. He says, well, you're asking for a sign because I fed you yesterday. I met a physical need, but I am the bread of life. Whoever eats me will live. Whoever believes in me will live. He said, I met a physical need and you, that's all you're after. More physical needs being met. But I didn't come just to meet physical needs. I came to meet the greatest need. Your spiritual need. To bring you from death to life. From judgment whoo, to forgiveness and redemption. And he says, I am the true bread that comes from heaven. If you eat of me, you will never hunger again. And you will never be thirsty again. Eat my flesh. Drink my blood. When he got done, the people were like, this is crazy talk. That's my paraphrase. And they turned around. They're like, what is this guy talking about? It's crazy. Does he really think we're going to eat him? <laughs> Cannibalism, man. We're not into that. And he looks at his disciples and he said, hey, everybody left. All the people he had fed the day before. Thousands upon thousands of people who came to see him because he met their physical need. All of a sudden he starts talking about something they can't understand. And they're like, yo, out of here. Now you're getting a little uncomfortable. I don't like that. We do the same thing to God. Can I be honest with you? 
We can get so focused on having God meet our needs that we miss out that he's not just wanting to meet your physical needs. Pay your bills, heal your body, provide the food you need. Do you know that there's so much more that Jesus Christ died to give you? But we get caught up in the physical because we're humans and we get caught up in the physical. But there's more. Tell your neighbor there's more. He came to heal our hearts. To comfort those who mourn, to turn, to make something beautiful out of ashes. To give us the oil of joy instead of the sorrow. To take off a garment of despair and give us a garment of praise. To make it so that we have double for our trouble. Jesus died to give us so much more than just bread to eat. He gave his very life. And when you and I proclaim the death of the Lord Jesus, you know what we're doing? I'm proclaiming that everything Jesus did on the cross is mine. Life, healing, freedom, deliverance, hope, joy, peace. There's so much that he's given for you and me. But we get hung up on, well, God, I don't know where you are because, you know, I, I haven't seen you do this thing for me. And then I hear the pastor say this, and I see those Christians doing that. And you know what? I don't like it offends me. I'm leaving. And we're so quick to turn our back on God and go to something else because God's not fast enough. Or, or God is doing it different than you think he should. Hey, You know how we pray. God, this is the problem. This is how you should fix it. Amen. And he's like, yo, if I fixed it that way, you would really be sorry. So he says, I got a different way. And then we're mad because he's doing a different way. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Can't you just wave your hand and make us better? I read that story of Naaman this week. He had leprosy. He goes to the prophet. The prophet doesn't even talk to Naaman. Naaman's a big man. He's like the commander of the army. The prophet won't even go talk to him. He sends a servant out. Go tell him to dip in the Jordan seven times. Naaman's mad. Man, what is up with this prophet? I thought he would just come over and wave his hand over me and I would be made well. He wants me to what? Go dip in the Jordan? That's the nastiest river in the area. I would rather go dip in this one or that. He names like four or five rivers. And he's mad and he's like, forget it. I'm not going to do it. And then his servant is like, uh, master, wait a minute. If he'd have told you to do something you liked, would you be complaining? You should do what he said if you want to get healed. So Naaman agreed. He goes to the Jordan. He dips himself seven times, seven times. Why does God do the craziest things? But when he comes out, his skin is completely healed like a baby. See, God will ask you and I to do things that maybe we don't think he should tell us to do. Take communion. Why is this such a big deal? Maybe God will ask you to give up certain entertainment. Or maybe God will ask you to cut back certain hobbies you have. Maybe God will ask you to reprioritize some of your time. Maybe God is going to ask you to start reading the Bible in a different way. But there's always a purpose for it. Because if you will obey, you will experience the cleansing of your heart, of your soul, of your mind. And you will receive not just brokenness, but you will receive wholeness in Christ. Take Eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
We're going to take communion together. I'm going to ask Ate Luled if you will help me pass out communion. Hey, Boone, will you come up and just play the new song on the piano quietly? We're going to take communion today. And I want to read in 1 Corinthians 11 the instructions that Paul gave. Verse 23 through 26, he says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks for it. <laughs> Communion is an invitation to the table of God. See, water baptism depicts our adoption into the family of God. Communion is the regular family meal. That's how I want you to see it, right? Water baptism is a demonstration of our faith in Jesus, and now we are adopted. We are children. And now we've been invited to come to the family table. And communion is the family meal to be taken together. For much more, than just a simple act, but as a time to remember what Jesus has done for us. Jesus takes it and he gives thanks. He gives thanks. You know what's amazing to me? Is he lifted it up and he gave thanks knowing he was about to be brutally murdered. He gave thanks knowing that his best friends would betray him and deny him and abandon him. He gave thanks knowing that he was about to suffer the worst suffering there ever was. To the point where he cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, all of the sin of the world was on Jesus, past, present, and future. And in that moment, he experienced spiritual death. In that moment, he experienced separation from God. In that moment, he understood what you and I are born into, that we are spiritually dead and separated from God. In that moment, he cried out, God, why have you forsaken me? That tells you that on the cross, Jesus understands your why questions. That Jesus understands when you say, God, where are you? Do you see me? Don't you know what I'm going through, Jesus? Where are you? He gets it. Because when he hung on the cross, he experienced that in a very real way. And then he took his last breath and he said, it is finished. He lifts up the bread and he gives thanks. On the night, Jesus took the bread and he gave thanks. And then he broke it and he gave it to each one of his disciples. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. He took your place. It should have been me on the cross. <laughs> 
It should have been you on the cross. But he took your place so that you and your brokenness could be made healed and whole. The Bible says that he took upon his shoulders our sin, our infirmities. And by his stripes, we are healed and made whole. Holy Spirit, we invite you in a holy moment as we take communion today, not in a rushed way, but in a way that's intentional, that we are partaking of the body and blood of Jesus. And we're doing so with gratitude and we're doing so in faith. We're doing so knowing that we need you. We need your presence, God. We don't want just your blessings. We don't want just physical manna, money to pay bills and things to meet our needs. We want your presence, God, because you're what we need above and beyond anything in this world could offer. So thank you. Thank you for your body that took our beating. If you have not yet received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is the moment. Today is the day of salvation. If you haven't said, you know what? I'm ready to make Jesus Lord of my life. This is your moment to make that choice. We deserve punishment. We deserve justice and wrath. But God, who is rich in love and mercy, gave his only son, Jesus Christ. By faith we're saved, not by works. If you will only believe. I'm going to invite you in this moment, even if you're watching online, that this is your opportunity to say, I choose to follow Jesus. I choose to receive what he did for me on the cross. To take his life in mine and now to live for him. I am placing my trust and my faith in Jesus. Or maybe, you know, you just got a little complacent. Maybe like me, you felt a block today and you just want it out of the way. I'm gonna invite you to lift your hand if that's you. Say, I want it. Right now, Father, you see the hands that are lifted. Let's pray together. Dear Father, thank you for demonstrating such great love that you gave Jesus to die for me while I'm still a sinner. Today I choose to live for you. I receive your body in my body. I receive your life in my life. I place my faith in you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Visit us in person or online at hwcim.org.